This podcast is recorded and produced on Gadigal land as well as other parts of Australia. In the spirit of reconciliation, Women's Agenda acknowledges the traditional custodians of country nationwide and their connections to land, waters and community. We pay our respects to Elders past and present and recognise that sovereignty was never ceded, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. You're listening to Fertility Unfiltered, a Women's Agenda special podcast series supported by Jenea Fertility. Through this series, we aim to break down common misconceptions, shatter stigmas and provide a platform for those whose voices have been silenced. We'll challenge society's limited understanding of fertility, amplifying stories that celebrate the beauty of diverse paths to parenthood. I'm your host, Tyler Lambert. Today's episode is for the hopeful dads and men out there who are trying to have a baby. If you've got a husband, a brother, a friend or loved one, share this conversation with them because we're about to shed some light on male infertility. Guys, this might sound uncomfortable, but I encourage you to stay with me as what you're about to discover could shift the plan moving forward. You're going to learn some interesting facts about sperm, how to boost your chances of having a baby, and more importantly, how you can lift some of the pressure you've been feeling around all of this. I'm Tyler Lambert, Editor-in-Chief at Women's Agenda, and I've been speaking to leading fertility specialists around Australia to help you on your journey to getting pregnant. Today you're going to meet Matt and Miley, a couple who were surprised to discover a male infertility issue was what had been preventing them from getting pregnant. You'll hear how they overcame it in this episode. I'll also be chatting to Professor Steve Robson at Jenea Fertility, a specialist in general and unexplained infertility. He says male infertility is more common than we may think. Infertility is very common in males and we see it in as many as 50% of cases uh, where we see a couple for fertility. Sometimes you never get to the bottom of why there's a problem. But some of the commoner things that we do see now relate to lifestyle. Um, And by that I mean uh, men who are carrying some extra weight, smoking, vaping, uh, reduced exercise. Um, in some cases, it is underlying medical conditions, and a classic for that is cystic fibrosis. But there are others uh, that we see in men. Sometimes medication use can contribute to a reduction in men's sperm parameters, for example. And one of the things that we're seeing increasingly is genetics, and we're learning more and more about genetics and finding that many men have an underlying genetic issue. Um, that's affecting their fertility and their sperm quality. So there's a wide range of things, and and sometimes uh, uh, it takes a little bit of detective work to get to the bottom of things. For Matt and Miley, this detective work took about a year as the couple struggled to figure out why they weren't getting pregnant. Uh, We've been trying for 12 months to get pregnant, and as much fun as that was, it was very tiring and exhausting for both of us and emotionally draining because we're watching our friends get pregnant and fall pregnant around us and it was kind of hard to swallow that. And then um, we booked an appointment with Jenea and went in and uh, sat down with the doctor and talked to them about like what we've been trying to, or our process of trying and just a little bit of medical like uh, history. And I told them that I have... uh, quite small testicles and that sort of was a bit of a red flag for the um, doctor and she asked if I'd ever um, had anything checked out with it or whatnot. Um, I said I've shown male GPs in the past but no one had ever said anything about it or um, seemed too concerned about it and um, so went and gave a, uh, 
a sperm sample and uh, turns out I had zero sperm. So we found out that news, which was a big pill to swallow and I was already off work after an accident. So um, it was a pretty emotional few weeks or a few months. After more tests, Matt was diagnosed with a genetic condition called Kleinfelter syndrome, which occurs when a male is born with one or more additional X chromosomes. Government health stats show it's relatively common, affecting one in every 500 to 1,000 males born in Australia each year. It can be a big issue and it can't be, but they did say there was other options to go down for uh, conception and to also look at maybe if we have to, getting a donor. Matt, like many men out there, didn't really have any reason to believe something could be amiss with his fertility. Having been to many GPs before Janea Fertility, no one noticed or mentioned something could be wrong. No, I just always thought it was okay. This growing up, like uh, my friends and I are not faced by male nudity and we've <laughs> seen each other naked plenty of times and always I meant like, why aren't my nuts as big as yours? But yeah, no one... <laughs> That the reason he'd shown doctors was could so you could do like um, he could control them and like suck, them. and he wanted to know if that was normal. So he had shown them that because that was quite unusual. Um, but yeah, no one had ever said about the size of them and that that could be suggestive of any. But then when we were with the GP and they actually got out the little um, the GP at Janea, they got out the little um, it's like a ring of all different testicle sizes and. Yours was all the way down the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> and like so that was, yeah, that was yeah. Um, what she, she basically said um, that that was something that could be impacting why we aren't getting pregnant. Yeah. As a guy, this can be a lot to take in. So before we proceed, there's one thing I want you to remember. If you have a condition like Matt's or find out you have any issue with your fertility, that does not make you less of a man. It doesn't make you less of a partner or even a future dad. It really doesn't. In fact, this is a myth Professor Robson once nipped in the bud. I think there are a number of common misconceptions that we see around male fertility. Uh, the first is that your fertility in some way reflects your masculinity. And I see this all the time. Uh, men are very apprehensive, uh, for example, about sperm testing because it may um, impugn their masculinity in some way. So it's really important to put that aside and say there's often no connection whatsoever between masculinity and fertility. With this in mind, let's look at what actually correlates with male infertility. Men commonly have fertility that waxes and wanes and uh, goes up and down over time. Uh, we commonly see that illness, for example, can really have a marked effect on men's fertility and we're seeing this increasingly with COVID. COVID is incredibly common and we know that it's not going away anytime soon. It also means that many men and couples who are planning to start a family will be affected by COVID, sometimes being infected two, three or even four times. A lot of the information coming out now certainly is concerning around COVID. We know that COVID can directly infect the hypothalamus, which is the part of our body that directs the hormones that uh, drive male fertility. And incredibly, the receptors on our cells that take COVID virus into the body are very strongly present in the testes. And there's a lot of research coming out now showing that the COVID virus seems to uh, preferentially infect testicular tissue. Uh, 
And there's some evidence coming out showing very strongly that men who've had an infection seem to have a reduced sperm count for sometimes uh, weeks and weeks after an infection and they have altered hormones. Now, it's important to understand that this is probably transient, but I think if men are having any fertility delay and they've also been affected by COVID to talk to their doctor about it, the reassuring news is that vaccination seems to uh, not affect fertility in any way. And men, for example, who end up on the viral drugs that are used to treat COVID, they are completely safe and don't affect fertility. So I think the more we learn about COVID and male fertility, the more concerns we have. But vaccination and treatment of COVID are very safe. And if you've got any questions at all, please talk to your doctor. Another big factor in male infertility, as with women, are lifestyle choices. As the saying goes, treat your body like a temple. It's a mantra worth living by if you want to boost your chances of becoming a dad, whether for the first time or again. We know that it's very common um, for men to uh, have their lifestyle affect their fertility quite a lot. We commonly see men and couples who are about to start their family who are very curious about the fertility and ask the question, what can we do to increase it? And there are some fairly simple answers to this. The first is for men to be as fit and healthy as possible. And this isn't rocket science. It means that if you smoke or vape, you should stop that. If you're using illicit uh, medications, for example, uh, to stop them. Vaping has just taken off in young men. And we're learning more and more about vaping all the time. Um, But uh, there's just no doubt that inhaling chemicals into your lungs if you're trying to get pregnant is a bad thing. So I would strongly encourage uh, men who vape, who are part of a relationship, to try to stop it, to see your doctor if you're having trouble and look for other alternatives because I suspect we're going to find that vaping in time is shown to have a fertility effect. So that's an important lesson for everybody. To make sure that you get regular exercise, that's very important to reduce the oxidant stress in your body. To try to keep your weight and fitness in the normal range uh, and also to have a healthy low GI diet that's full of lots of uh, nutrients uh, that can help with fertility. So a bit of a top to tail review of your whole lifestyle is really important for men who are planning to start a family. Before your ears skim over this, lifestyle changes make real impact. In fact, the decision to stop vaping or get your weight to a healthy range can give you a quick win in solving your fertility puzzle. Why? The answers are in your sperm. Let's take a closer look at sperm and what it tells us about fertility. So it's becoming increasingly clear that the quality of a man's sperm reflects their general health. And a lot of research has been published in the last few years confirming that relationship and in fact showing that uh, problems in sperm quality can reflect warnings about general health for men and should prompt a a more general health checkup. So things that we look for are in the first instance the amount of sperm and a a typical volume of a healthy uh, ejaculate in a man would be somewhere between two and five-ish mils and when that uh, ejaculate is analysed we like to look at the number of sperm, and and by that we mean the concentration. So typically we'd like to see a concentration of 15 or more million sperm in each mill. We'd like to know that the sperm are moving and moving normally in the right direction. So we like to see the sperm have what we call progressive motility. 
And we also look at the shape of sperm. And a lot of men are surprised to find that the vast majority of sperm have an abnormal shape. Lots of sperm are produced and usually a healthy uh, quantity of normal sperm is around about 3 to 4% uh, of the overall number of sperm. Before you run to the bathroom to see if you can figure this out for yourself, it's not as straightforward as holding a magnifying glass to ejaculate. And it takes a very experienced scientist to pick these sperm, and that's why it's important to go to a laboratory who can have a detailed and experienced analysis because picking the shape of the sperm as being normal and abnormal can be quite a struggle at times. So a lot of men read a lot into their ejaculate and it's really important to understand what you see does not necessarily equate to what you get. Um, For example, a man who's had a vasectomy can have no sperm at all and yet his ejaculate would seem completely normal if you just look at it. So it's important not to read too much into things and if there are any uh, concerns at all about fertility to get a formal experienced analysis of sperm. Some men I've seen are extremely worried about the sperm. They come along with concerns about the colour or they see mucus threads and all sorts of things in sperm and are very anxious. Uh, But when it's formally analysed, it's completely normal. And as I said before, some men who are convinced everything is absolutely uh, perfect uh, to the eye uh, get a surprise when there is a big problem in the sperm's analyse. So it can be a tricky thing and needs very careful and experienced analysis. You can get a sperm test with your GP. It may cost about $150, but Medicare rebates are available. There's a bit more information on what tests you can take as a couple to get an idea of your fertility in episode one of this podcast. There's also been some interesting developments in reproductive health tech to boost your chances of conception if you've been having issues with fertility as a man. So for a long time, there was very little that could help men who had a fertility problem conceive. But there's been an absolute explosion in technology over the last decade or two. And a lot of it has to do with uh, the techniques with which we identify healthy sperm, they can be injected into an egg if it's part of a fertility process. But I think beyond that, there's a recognition now that there are some changes that we just didn't recognise being there that happen to sperm and cause a problem. So one of them is genetics, and we're seeing more and more genetic connections with problems with sperm. We're seeing the fact that even if all of the DNA is present in a sperm, it can be frayed at the ends, and we call that DNA fragmentation. And increasingly, we're seeing that DNA fragmentation plays not only a role in fertility, but also in the health of an ongoing pregnancy. And there's now a body of work looking at what is called capacitation. So that's the process a sperm goes under uh, on its journey to the egg after intercourse that makes it able to fertilise an egg. And we're now seeing that there are potential genetic problems Uh, in the way a sperm prepares itself to fertilise. So there are a lot of new breakthroughs in the way that we analyse sperm, we think about fertilisation, and that's opened up new ways that we can help men with a fertility problem achieve a pregnancy with their partner. Another question that may be on your mind right now is how often should you be doing the deed? And can doing it too much hurt the quality of your sperm? So I'm asked all the time by couples how often should we have intercourse if we're trying to conceive 
And a number of studies have looked at this over the years. Now, it's always a little bit difficult to get accurate information about how often couples have intercourse because sometimes they're a little bit coy about revealing everything. But uh, there's been some interesting studies recently that essentially say have intercourse as often as you can, and that's probably the way forward. Um, We used to try to uh, suggest uh, people abstain and only have intercourse when you think uh, ovulation's happening. In the end, that probably contributes to a delay in getting pregnant for a lot of couples. So the data now are pretty clear that you just have intercourse as often as you can in the mid-cycle, and that's the most likely way to achieve a pregnancy if all is normal. Guys, you are crucial in this story. Conceiving your baby only happens with you, and that's why it's really important that you have space to open up about the challenges that come with trying to get pregnant. Women are opening up about their infertility, and Professor Robson hopes we all make an effort to encourage this among men so they aren't walking what can be a long and heavy journey alone. It's something Matt feels strongly about. For him and his partner Miley, having a supportive circle of loved ones, trusted health practitioners, and each other to lean on was crucial. When we initially found out, it was a bit sort of taken back because you always think, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. And I'd never heard I'd heard of male infertility, but like saying, it's not talked about. So just initially always thought it'd be like a female infertility, something wrong. So it's a lot, a lot to take in, plus climb filters and some of the issues with climb filters is uh, like when it's diagnosed when you're young, that you sort of like you don't know who you are sort of thing. So I was a bit upset with that navigating it I just I've always tried to be open with everyone so like I told all my friends and my friends were all super supportive and my family and like our close group of friends like even the partners everyone was good talked to all the counsellors that Janaya provided and I was also um, quite depressed at the same time and I think that was the issue with the accident and the fertility stuff so started seeing a psychologist for that and that helped heaps as well yeah I just talked to everyone and even now like I still talk to people about it and bring it up I noticed talking to some of my mates who they were also trying and they it made them go to genetic counselors and they all found they some of them found out that they also had uh, male infertility issues and stuff like that so it was good yeah guys at work are the same and they've they said it was nice that to hear that there's someone else like them that they know personally that is having issues and that, you know, we had success. So they gave them hope. And my friend, he's just had twins. So, and he had IVF and it was a male male infertility factor. So I hope that couples who are embarking on the journey recognise that about half the time there's a male component to things. So it's really important that we talk about that. We shine a light on it and that we we celebrate the fact that men are part of the couple. I'm definitely seeing a generational change in the way men approach discussions around their fertility. Um, it's not uncommon to have uh, an older man come along as part of a, a perhaps new relationship, uh, a newly uh, partnered couple, um, and they often, older men will often have some of those older Um, I guess, stereotypes about masculinity and fertility. They can be a little bit reluctant to participate in discussions, even to the point where occasionally I'll have a a woman come along and a partner doesn't even attend a consultation. I rarely see that in young couples. I often see a lot of uh, engagement in the male 
And I think that's a reflection just on the way the newer and younger generation of men uh, approach a lot of relationship issues. So it's refreshing, but it also means that we shouldn't be too judgmental about uh, men who are perhaps in an older age group wanting to either start or extend a family, but make sure we, we make it clear to them that's an important part of a whole fertility discussion to include both members of the couple and recognise that so often there are um, a male and a female aspect to a fertility delay. Professor Robson works with many men and couples through fertility struggles. He says working together as a team can go a long way. Whether your fertility is causing issues or your partner's is, or both, I think that's really worth remembering as you move forward. A lot of couples in Australia will face quite a long journey in starting the family that they want. And it can be very discouraging for couples to uh, each month try and pregnancy doesn't happen. Um, If they're moving to treatments like insemination or IVF, it can be very discouraging when they have treatment and pregnancy doesn't happen. It's very common for couples to be overwhelmed. And the first thing is to understand it's a couple journey. And I've seen situations where it is primarily a male problem or exclusively a male problem. And men really get very despondent when pregnancy doesn't happen. Again, they feel that in some way they're letting their partner down. If that happens, it's critically important that a couple talk about it, that they talk to the doctor who's helping them on their fertility journey. And in many cases, you actually need to have some professional support. And there are experienced and qualified counsellors who can help couples deal with these stresses. And we understand just how stressful it can be for a lot of couples and a lot of men who internalise things and perhaps don't like to talk about it. Um, But it's so important for a relationship in these difficult times to sort these things out. So talk to your doctor. And if things do feel overwhelming, there is help available and your doctor should be able to point you in the right direction to resources that really can make a difference. For Matt and Miley, they decided to give IVF a chance. Fortunately, it worked, and the couple are now raising their son, Jasper. The journey to becoming parents was not easy, and approaching the challenge as a team played a big role in the couple getting through this difficult time. Lots of hugs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Lots of talking. We've always been lucky. We're pretty open and don't hold back from each other and just stay open and lots of time together, try not to dwell on it, but also look into all the other options that we have. And we were actively talking about, like if we were to go down the donor path, if it didn't work, who we'd choose and or who we'd like to ask and all that sort of stuff. So I think we were expecting the worst, but we're happy when it, we got the best results. So. Yeah, we're sort of hoping but plan for the worst type and I think for me anyway it was hard because I was grieving the loss of what I thought was gonna you know be our future um and at times that was really hard for me actually to be open with Matt about how I was feeling because he was already struggling so much with the fact that he ended up being the the factor and of course you're in it as a partnership but I know I would be feeling the same if the roles were reversed but I think that's where, yeah, the fact that we could talk to people outside our relationship as well was really helpful and get perspective from others and just feel heard and just be allowed to feel sad as well about where we were at. 
You'll hear more about Matt and Miley's IVF journey later in this series, but their best advice to couples confronting infertility issues is to stay connected to each other and reach out for support. I think as you get older, as a man, you start to understand that it's uh, it's okay to have feelings and stuff like that, especially the depression side of things. And um, I work in mining, so we have a lot of support. People don't talk so much, but there's definitely a lot of support in mining at the moment for mental health issues and men's mental health being a male-dominated industry. But it did take me a while to open up and talk to people. And after I talked to a couple of my mates, they were just like, well, you, one of the most open people we've met or we know, just tell everyone, like, and you don't normally care what people think of you, so why would you care now? And I was like, oh, yeah, so that's how I look at it and it's heaps easier to talk to people and men or women, anyone at work. And it's quite fascinating that lots of people have that had male factor issues and um, are quite happy to talk to you about it or come up to you and want to hear more or find out more about it. So, I mean, everyone says how incredible it is and that you never know a love like it. And they're right. Um, And I feel so thankful that we're getting to experience that. We've always been open sharers, but we've never had to do so much conflict resolution type stuff as we do these days. (laughs) Yeah about what our um, preferences are in terms of child rearing. So that's been a challenge at times, but also we come out the other side for the most part. Yeah, sometimes you want to kill each other, but ultimately there's a lot of love there. I get it, yeah. (laughs) And I guess that's a similar thing. I I knew that that kind of thing is uh, what would happen, but then to go through it is different actually to what I expected. Yeah. Again, with sharing and support for the male factor, there's so much support, like uh, Facebook groups, there's um, lots online about it. There's even like Reddit, you'll find heaps of support for male factor infertility or part of my condition is low testosterone. So having testosterone replacement therapy and all that sort of stuff. But don't be scared, I guess, to talk to people or reach out because there's plenty of people going through the same thing and it doesn't change who you are and it doesn't it doesn't make any less of a man or less of a human being you know we're still all the same people if you think you've hit a roadblock when it comes to your fertility as matt says you're not alone so open up and don't keep the burden on just your shoulders there is help there is support and there are resources to guide you and your partner through this so the first step for a couple should be the doctor who's looking after them And a local doctor will have um, insight into and access to fertility supports. And they can take a number of aspects to them. In some cases, if there really is likely to be a significant fertility issue, then uh, I've certainly sent many couples or recommended that they seek counselling. And there's some very experienced fertility counsellors around. Um, Some people are even in a position where they need to make a decision about whether to proceed uh, or the an incredibly important discussion for some couples is around donor sperm and that really requires very experienced and robust counselling but in general I think there are a number of support groups in communities and your local doctor or the doctor who's caring for you can provide some guidance for you about that but I think the third thing is 
is about just your local relationships and and your friends and colleagues. And I think a lot of men are apprehensive uh, about talking to their colleagues in a way that women commonly are not. Um, But just giving men permission uh, to talk to their friends about the journey that they're undertaking is sometimes important. And I think it also means that as a community, we need to be much more open about fertility discussions with men uh, so that uh, if men want to talk about this, it's not something that's sort of uh, so uh, uh, unusual that it becomes just a normalised part, a socialised part of our discussions. To any men listening who are on a bit of a tough path to completing their family, I hope this podcast has helped lift some of the weight on your shoulders and that you feel more comfortable reaching out for support. With so many men and women working through infertility challenges, remember there's always hope. Thank you for listening to today's episode and a big thank you to our guests, Matt, Miley and Professor Steve Robson at Jenea Fertility. In the next episode, we find answers to a question on a lot of women's minds. Is egg freezing for me? Don't miss an episode in this series by subscribing to the Women's Agenda podcast, which you'll find on all streaming platforms and our website. I'm Tyler Lambert. I'll see you next time.